Happy New Year! How you doing? We doing all right? Why don't you guys go ahead and have a seat? And um, you know, we, um, my family had an opportunity this past week after the Christmas holidays, just to after all the services, to kind of disconnect a little bit, hit pause, the reset button a little bit, and uh, so I, I actually spent a little bit of time just seeking God, not just for our church, but for myself personally. Just God, what are you wanting to do in my own life? What are you wanting to do with me this year? How are you wanting to, what are you wanting to change about me? What, how do you want me to grow? You know, that's a good place for all of us to get, right? We all need to come to a place where we just sit still before God and say, here I am. You know, in that process of doing that, uh, there's a word that I felt like God really brought to me about myself personally, as well as for our church. And it's this word transformation, that, that, that God wants to bring some transformation in my life. And, it, and I just felt like as I was seeking him in his word, he was showing me some areas that I need to see that transformation as well as for our congregation and just grow. And, but you know, for transformation to happen, we have to understand that it starts with facing reality of whatever it is that you're dealing with, what, what's going on in your life. It's getting real. It's getting honest. It's getting to a place of saying, this is what it is really that's happening in my life. And then getting to a place of humbling yourself before God and saying before him, Lord, here I am and I want to surrender this to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender this area to you. Let me show you in the scripture, this passage that God brought to my mind while I was going through this process just this week. And it's in Romans 12. And here's what the apostle Paul writes. And many of you know this. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Did you see that there is a place of coming to the altar of God and giving yourself, all of yourself to him? It starts with surrender. It starts with surrender. Look at what he says next. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Look at this part. But let God, what's the word? Transform you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so what I felt like the Lord was leading me to lead you in today is a lot of times we do this at the end of the service, but I want to begin our time in God's word as we'll look in a moment. I want to invite you in just to a time of just being still and being quiet before God and in just a time of prayer. Will you bow your heads with me and let's just get quiet before God, be still before him, come to the altar of God, no matter where you're seated there, forget about who's around you and you just come to a place of just humbling yourself in his presence. This is a time for you to hit the reset button. We serve a God of grace. Paul says, in light of all of this grace, so begin to just thank him for, your, for the grace that he's extended in your life. Begin to praise him. If you're in a relationship with him, thank him for your salvation. Come to him and surrender. Will you just begin to pray? Here I am, Lord, at the altar, offering you my life as a living sacrifice, 
Not one that is dead and one that is useless, but one that is alive. And here I am surrendering my life before you. Just begin at this moment to to give your bodies. He said, offer your bodies just to give yourself to God. Lord, I offer you my body. I offer you my mind, my hands, my heart. I want to begin to release control maybe of some areas that I've been trying to control. I've been trying to manipulate some things. I've been trying to make some things happen. And God, there's not been any change that's happened there. So now, Lord, I want to do it your way. I want to come before you and surrender. I want to open my hands to you. This may be a time, I know for me, it's, it, it, it just helps me when I open my hands before God. And I just pause and I just say, here I am, Lord. Let, ask God to begin to transform and, and offer up your relationships. God, I give you, I bring my relationships to you. If you're a married person, this might be a time to say, Lord, I want to bring my marriage before you as I enter into this new year, Lord. I, I, I want to I offer this up to you. I want to begin to think about my marriage the way that you do. Maybe you're not a married person. You're a single person. You might just begin to thank him that, that there is no one person who completes you, that you are already complete in Jesus Christ, and you would offer yourself up to him whole and complete, regardless of whatever your relational status is, and you would say, here I am, Lord, I want to be used for you in all of my relationships. Maybe you're dating someone, and you would say, Lord, I want to, I want to, I want to think about it your way, not my way. I release control of that. If you're a parent, would you bring your children, your kids, as this living sacrifice before the Lord? Lord, I offer my, up my kids in the way that I parent to you. I want to release control even there, Lord, and I want to bring this before you. If there's a problem maybe with your kids, I bring this problem before you. God, I want to manage these relationships your way. Bring your time. This is your most precious commodity. Lord, I offer my time to you at this very moment. Lord, tell him this. Wherever I am at, whatever time of day, every moment I want to recognize is precious to you. I want to live on mission for you, making the most of every opportunity. Would you offer him your personal wellness? This is the time of year where we say, I, I wanna get in shape or I wanna, I wanna take better care of myself. What if the way that you went about it this time was not so much about you, but it's because you wanna bring honor to God for blessing you, blessing you with health, blessing you with the body that you have. I offer you my physical body. I wanna make good choices this year and take care of what you've given to me. If you have a job, thank him for your job right now. If you're out of work, bring that situation to him. Lord, I, I want to bring this situation. I want to thank you, Lord, if I have a job. I want to be sure that what Paul says is true, that I, whatever it is I do, I bring my, my talents, my skills, whatever I do, I do them for your glory. I bring that to you right now. What about your finances? 
Lord, the finances that I have, the resources that you've blessed me with, I come to you with open hands, Father. I open my hands and I want to be responsible with that which you have given to me. Would you bring transformation in our lives, Holy Father? Would you change the way that we think? And we start this year with total surrender, bringing you all of our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, and can we clap again to our great and mighty God, amen? Hey, I am glad that you are here with us. It's been an awesome day so far. We're starting a brand new series today that is called Avoid the Trap. And we're gonna begin to look over the next few weeks at, at this relationship that all of us have with our personal finances and what does that look like. And it's absolutely something, the way that we deal with our finances and the way that we deal with the money that's been entrusted to us, it impacts every single person that will walk through these doors today. You're gonna deal with finances in one way or another. Many of you have jobs and you're earning a living and you're earning money and so you, you have money and you're, maybe some of you are trying to teach your kids about money and you're, you're working with them in that and all of us need money to exist. It's kind of the way that things are, right? We need it to exist. We need it to purchase things in our lives and, and so you're going to have some kind of relationship with finances in one way or another and one thing that I know as a pastor is that money is something, and, the, and our finances and the resources faith in that amount of time, uh, whenever things aren't good, it can impact you physically, because if you're worrying a lot about your finances, it will impact you. The stress will impact you. It impacts you emotionally when you're worried, and maybe that's all that you're thinking about, and you kind of feel this worry and anxiety about it. It can impact your relationships. Do you know that over 54% of the divorces that happen in America, finances have something to do with it in one way or another. For many, it's not till death do us part. It's till debt do us part, right? And that ends up being a big deal because a lot of people don't know how to handle their finances properly, or, or maybe there's some kind of unforeseen circumstance that happens in their finances. What I'm trying to say is that finances is something that is incredibly relevant to every person who will be here today. Everyone who is here, you will be dealing with this in one way or another. Now, a lot of times when, when uh, pastors do series on finances, we have this mentality that all it is going to be about is giving, and yes, that is always a component because God talks about that, but what I'm really excited about, and every person that I've talked to on the way out uh, of the first two services, they were even excited, or the ones that I talked to said they were excited because they realized, and I want to show you this in this series, that the Bible has so much to say about our finances, and, and, and it says uh, how, how how we should look at our money is such a big deal and it's a relevant thing. It talks about saving, it talks about spending, it talks about debt, it talks about investments. The Bible has so much to say about, about uh, what it means to manage our finances properly. But the truth is, is that most people, many people struggle in this area. I know that this is something that was a big struggle for Hope and I early on in our marriage, and that is because early on, I did not know how to rightly relate to our finances. So whenever Hope and I got married, I'll just tell you straight up, I brought debt into our relationship. 
And I brought a difficult circumstance. She married not into a guy who had any money. She married into a guy that owed some money, okay? And that's kind of the circumstance that we were in. But, but, but I know that I'm not alone in this. We live in the richest nation that has ever existed in the history of the world. And 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Think about that, okay? 78% are, are struggling, and, and if, if there was a major uh, crisis that happened, many would be in a big jam. If maybe they lost their job, or maybe there was an emergency that happened, many don't have any kind of savings to help with that. 78%, 62 of Americans say that it's their number one problem relating to their finances or some kind of financial problem, 62% would say it's their biggest problem. More than half would say it's the biggest deal that they are dealing with, it's the biggest stressor in their life. Many are living well beyond their means. 71% of Americans are in debt in some kind of way. Americans are spending $1.22 for every dollar that we earn. Now, I will assure you that I am not very good with math. I'm not a good mathematician, all right? But I can even tell you this, that that boat is not gonna float for very long, right? $1.22, we're spending $1.22 for every dollar that we earn. So let me ask a very simple and pragmatic question. If this is something that so many people are dealing with and battling with and is a great stressor in our lives, why is it that, especially in our churches today, it's something that we just don't want to talk about? Why is it that, that we don't want to engage this and talk about this issue? Well, I'll tell you from a pastoral perspective because a lot of pastors don't want to talk about it. I know you may have the idea that a lot of pastors, that's all they want to talk about, and in some cases, it, that is true. But a lot of pastors don't want to talk about it. Early on in my ministry, I didn't want to talk about it for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is that I grew up in the age of the, of the televangelist that was crooked. Okay, and some of you know what I'm talking about. And we watched that and we watched that go down and we saw a lot of unethical activity and we saw a lot of bad stuff that happened. And there was this mindset that, and so as a pastor, as, as God called me into ministry, um, I remember thinking, I don't wanna be lumped in with those guys. I don't want, if I talk about this for people who are coming to think that, that I'm like them and, that, and that's all I think about and that's all I talk about or I'm gonna try to manipulate them or I'm gonna try to you know, pressure them or what. I, I don't want people to think about me that way. So there was a period of time where honestly, I didn't wanna talk about it because I didn't wanna be lumped in with those guys. Here's another thing. A lot of pastors don't wanna talk about it because many pastors are notorious managers of their own money. And as a result, because we've not, and I, this was the boat that I was in early on as well, was that I didn't know very well how to rightly relate to money. And I had bought into some traps that we'll talk about today. And I got ourselves, early on in our ministry, I got ourselves, I'm talking about hope and myself, I got ourselves in such a jam that I, I mean, it was the biggest stressor in my life. And I felt like I had no integrity to talk about it. I felt like I couldn't talk about it because this was something that I was really battling with. There could be some that don't wanna talk about it because in the culture in which we live today because of a mindset about this, there are some pastors and some churches that don't wanna talk about it because we have gotten more about building a crowd and building an audience and more worried about that than we are about building disciples. And I want you to know that that's not a right way of thinking about it either. We wanna be sure here at EVC that we're teaching you the whole counsel of God. 
that I'm going to shoot straight with you, and I'm going to, I'm going to be straight with you about what Scripture has to say. So for some, there are many that, that don't want to talk about it because of those reasons. Many of us who maybe are here, we don't want to talk about it because we've made some serious mistakes, and it's a sore spot. And whenever we start to talk about it, it means we might actually have to confront the problem that is actually happening in our lives, and many of us just don't want to do that because it might mean it's going to take some hard work to work your way out of a hole that you've dug yourself in. And so uh, many times we just would rather hear something that's just going to make me feel good, maybe just something that maybe the pastor will say something that's only going to encourage me today. And I am going to encourage you today, okay? But I'm going to encourage you in God's way through his word. I'm really excited about this series. Let me tell you why. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited to talk about these things with you because I'm believing transformation is going to happen for many of you in this area. And, and what, that, what I mean by transformation is there's going to be some freedom that begins to happen. There's going to be some blessing that's going to begin to happen in your life because you're going to shift and not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but you're, to, you're going to begin to shift and think about finances the way that God says to think about them, and there's going to be something marvelous that happens in you. There's going, to be, there's going to be something that begins to happen. I'm not promising you that the moment that you start thinking that way, that automatically all of your financial problems are going to change. I'm not going to sell you that bill, bill of goods, okay? But I am going to tell you this, that it's going to take some work and cooperation with God, but, but I can't think of a better time to start this than right now. A better time to start, and listen, the reason I'm excited to talk about this, and I want you to hear this, God talks about this much, you realize this, that there are over 2,300 verses that deal with money in the scripture. Jesus talks more about how we relate to finances than he does even heaven and hell. Did you know that? That's not to say that heaven and hell aren't important. He talks more than half of the parables that Jesus tells have something to do with financial resources. When we consider all of that, we have to ask why? Why does he talk so much about it? Here's what I want you to get. It's because he loves you. Amen, right? You guys can talk back today. It's okay, help me out, all right? Do you know that, that he loves you? That he's crazy about you? Do you know this? How many of you really believe that God wants you to live a blessed life? Raise your hands. Do you believe that? Yeah. He wants you blessed, not just for your own blessing's sake. God wants his church blessed because we are blessed to be a blessing to the world around us. Amen? But what happens to many of us is we take the bait. We take the bait of the world, right? We buy into the lies of the world and we wrongly relate so often to this area of money in our lives. Here's something I wanna tell you, okay? If you're new around here, uh, you may be thinking, oh great, I finally decided a Sunday to go back to church and what's he talking about money? Here's what I wanna say to you, relax. I have a 20 year track record here at EVC and you, what you will find out, if you will hang out through this series and hang with us for a while, you will find something out that I will never pressure you. I trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Do you know that? I'm gonna teach you God's word, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is moving amongst you right now, and he's gonna bring correction where he needs to correct. He's gonna bring conviction. He's gonna bring encouragement for those that need encouragement today, so you can relax. I want you to relax. I have some great things to share with you about our church whenever it comes to finances. Number one, we have incredible accountability whenever it comes to our finances. I don't handle any finances. If you try to give me your tithe, I'll give it back to you and say, go put it in the box or give it to somebody else. I don't want to touch it. 
and, I, and I, that's been that way. For, uh, and here's another thing. I don't set my salary. Do you know who sets my salary? You do. I, I don't have a say over that. You do. And so, and I'm good with that. I'm perfectly okay with that. And, and, and we have, here's some things that I can say about EBC. We're not driven by a building payment. We have a wonderful facility. Amen. Do you know it took a long time for us to position ourselves into such a place where, yes, we do have a building payment, but we are not driven by a building payment. We are driven by loving God and loving people. Amen? Isn't that great? We don't spend more at EVC than we bring in. That's a novel idea. How about that? Our government could learn from EVC. Again, we have great accounting practices. We're having an audit done this year. I want you to know that because it's important that there's accountability. It is important to me as your pastor that you feel confident and like this is a place that has integrity when it comes to the area of finances. I am tired of seeing that happen in the churches because people are buying into this because there have been pastors that have abused that area of finances and now it has affected so many of God's people because they have no confidence in the area of giving and I want to eliminate that from from being a factor here at EVC. And we've worked very hard here over the 20 years. I can't believe in this February, it will be 20 years since this church started where Hope and I started EVC in my parents' house. It's an incredible thought. But over the years, there's been financial integrity. And I praise God for that. Right? I praise God for that. We always want to maintain that. We have a budget that we function by, and you're welcome to come to that meeting. We have transparency in our finances. That I'm t- why you say, why are you telling me all this? Because I want you to have confidence, and I want you to understand that the motive for this series today is not to try to manipulate you into giving more, not try to get you to do something that I want you to do. I want the area of finances not to be something that is taboo for us to talk about in our churches, because it's not taboo taboo in God's word. And God wants you well. God wants you healthy. God wants you relating to finances in a good kind of way. And for many of us, that's been something that has been avoided in our lives. And and we're setting, many of us, we're setting our kids up for failure in this area because we're not getting it right in our own lives. Wouldn't it be a great thing if we as as parents and as adults really began to work hard in this area in our own life and then we started really imprinting and teaching our kids, teaching our kids these biblical principles so that they can handle money rightly and not get to where many of us have been where we're wringing our hands and we're worrying all the time and we don't have enough money for the end of the month. That's my hope and my prayer is that we would see some true transformation and discipleship happen in this series. But what concerns me as a pastor is that many of us in this area that is the greatest source of conflict, the greatest source of problem in our our lives, many of us who are Christ followers, we never grow. We stay the same. We we think that we'll keep doing things the same way and that it's just going to magically fix itself. And we all know that that mentality is insanity, right? To think that it's going to fix itself. We've got to start thinking differently and doing things differently. Uh, we got to start living like no other. This is how Dave Ramsey put it. So we can live like no other. Amen, right? It's changing your way of thinking about it. 
It's beginning to think about it God's way. Now, so sadly, many followers in their fina- of Jesus in their financial life, they don't look any different in the way they think about money than the way the rest of the world does. But what did Paul say? He said, don't let your, your thoughts or your patterns be conformed to this world. You want to start thinking about it the way God wants you to think about it. And so we bought into the lies. We have taken the cheese. All right, we've taken the cheese. By the way, I'm not calling you a bunch of dirty rats. Just want to be clear about that. But I want to be clear about this. Money is not the cheese in our graphic up there. Do you know what the cheese is? The cheese is the world's way of thinking about money. That's the cheese. And I'm going to give you some traps today from God's word to show you some things to avoid. My prayer is that if you're feeling really beat down by your finances, and by the way, in like two weeks, it's the, it's the day of the year that is the most depressing day of all of the rest of the year. You know why? Because for many, the credit card bills from Christmas hit on that day. And many people are more depressed that day than they are any other day of the year because reality, whether you like it, is going to smack you in the face. And you're going to have to deal with it one way or another. So, I, so my hope is that if, if finances is something that's been a sour spot for you or a sore spot for you, I should say, then it's something that you would begin to feel a sense of hope. You would begin to feel like, you know, there's some principles that I can start putting in place that God's going to give me the ability to start as I cooperate with him to start working out of some of these problems that I've, I've put myself in. Maybe you didn't even put yourself in a problem, but just an unforeseen circumstance circumstance happen and, and you weren't quite prepared for that. And so we want to start thinking differently about some things. And, and I want to be very clear, you're going to see in this series that money is not evil, right? What is actually, what does the scripture say is evil? The love of money. It says it's the cause, the root of all kinds of evil, jealousy, selfishness. We'll lie for it. We'll be unethical, right? We'll do all kinds of, we'll be greedy. We'll, we'll be idolatrous. It's the root. Now, money itself is not something that is evil. It's, it's amoral, not immoral, but amoral, okay? So we want to shift our thinking in this series. We want to begin to think the way God says to think about all areas of our lives, specifically in this series, the way that we handle our finances. Remember that transformation starts though with what? Surrender. It starts with coming before God, acknowledging a certain issue, surrendering it before God. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered this in my own life, that whenever I do that and I'm not trying to control everything, tight clenching my fist around those things and white knuckling those things, you know what I've started discovering when I release those things to God? I'm happier. I'm more at peace. Uh, I'm more joyful. Do you know that whenever people are rightly relating to money in their lives, I'm going to tell you this, it's true. Do you realize that you're, you're nicer? <laughs> you're nicer people. You're easier to get along with. You're actually, you're actually a happier person because you're doing things God's way. You're going to see more peace come into your life. Now, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 16. It's actually a very peculiar passage of Scripture, and I want to explain it to you. It's one of the most misunderstood stories that Jesus would tell, and it's definitely very challenging. He's going to say some things that it's going to be like, what, what is he talking about there? 
And one of the reasons that this passage of scripture is misunderstood is because it can almost appear like Jesus is praising this one guy's dishonesty or that Jesus is kind of praising him for being unethical. And I want to clear it up from the beginning that that is not the point of this parable that Jesus tells. Jesus is not praising his dishonesty, but he is going to use a very clever crook to teach a lesson to not only his disciples, but he's going to be poking and prodding at another group of hearers, and that is the Pharisees, and I'll explain that more in a moment. This is called the parable of the shrewd manager. Let's just begin to look at this and kind of, kind of see what the Lord wants to say to us. Luke 16, verse 1 says, Jesus told the story of, uh, uh, this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. I kind of I like what he's saying here, okay? Uh, I, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill, quickly change it to 400 gallons. How much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill, change it to 800 bushels. And the written out, now I want you to see this point right here, okay? The rich man, by the way, you should know that the rich man, it's a parable, the rich man you're going to see is God. It's the one who owns everything. The manager, who do you think the manager is? It's us, okay? It's people, all right? Look at this. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so, what's the next word? Say it with me. Say it with me. What? Shrewd. Now, what does that word mean, shrewd? Okay, well, it's this Greek word phronomos, and and here's what it literally means. It's practical wisdom, it's, it's not just book smarts here. It's practical wisdom. Jesus is not praising his dishonesty. He's praising that he is shrewd. Now, what does shrewdness mean? It means to be smart. It means to be sharp. It means, and I love this word, to be strategic. And it means to be resourceful. That's what it means to be shrewd. A person who is shrewd can see a problem, can clearly identify what the problem is, can put a plan together and begin to enact that plan. That is what shrewdness is. It's to be shrewd. Now I want to show you something that Jesus says, and this is so true. It is true that the children of this world... That would be those who are not followers of Christ, who don't know God as their Savior. I want you to see this. This is an indictment upon believers. It is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Isn't that interesting that Jesus would point that out? That oftentimes, people in the world are oftentimes better at managing their finances. They're better at managing their money. They're, they're, they do things in a shrewd kind of way. They put a plan in place. And a lot of times, he's saying that many believers have fallen into some traps where they're not very shrewd. Here's the lesson. Look at what he says. Use your worldly resources 
we all know this, that if we don't learn to manage our money, our money will manage us. If we don't get a grip on how to handle it properly, it can very easily begin to manipulate and drive everything else that's going on in your life. But look at what he says. No, you take the worldly resources and you use that. You be the one that is managing it. You manipulate it for the purposes that are God's purposes. Use worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now, I want to be really clear. Uh, This is not a parable about how to attain salvation. Jesus is not tying your management of finances to your ability to earn your way to heaven. That is not what is being said here. Uh, But however, I do want you to know that as managers of God's money, there is accountability to God in how we manage it. It's very clear, there's, there's more than one story that shows their accountability for believers in how we manage what God gives us. There's certainly accountability here. God will also bless and reward those who are faithful in the management of the resources, no matter how much it is that you have. God is the one who determines what you have and, 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 and wants you to be faithful whether you have little or whether you have much. So let's keep reading. He says, use it. Use it here in verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about, what does it say? Everyone say it with me. What? Worldly wealth. What is that? That's what we have right now. That's presently what you have concerning your finances if we are not trustworthy with it, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Again, that's not saying that you won't go to heaven if your, ma- if your money is out of control, okay? What it's saying is there are definitely rewards that are in heaven uh, that are tied. If there's an eternal part of this, and you need to know this as well, that many times God will not bless you with more even right now because you've not learned to manage what you have currently, And when you're faithful, oftentimes, there's this principle of sowing and reaping. When we're faithful with what God has given us, a lot of times, God will will trust us with a little bit more. God will trust us to be faithful. But we got to show faithfulness with what we currently have. Now, look at verse 12. If you are not faithful with other people's things. Now, the point is, if you're not faithful with what God has given you and what is actually his, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Now, verse 13 is one that many of us are very familiar with. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Let's all say this out loud. Say the last part with me out loud. Say it with me. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to... He doesn't say you should not. He says straight up, you can't do it. You won't be able to do this. This is a weird story, isn't it? Okay. I mean, I'm just being honest. When I read it, I'm like, what is he saying here? What is going on? Well, I want to assure you first again, Jesus is not praising his unethical behavior. That's not what he's doing here. He is praising the fact that this guy knows how to clearly identify a problem 
develop a plan and put a plan in place and work the plan, he is shrewd, okay? In fact, Jesus would even say in another place to his disciples, I want you to be as harmless as a dove, but as what? Shrewd as a serpent. In other words, other words, I want you to be able to be resourceful. I want you to be able to be smart and strategic. Put a plan in place, work your plan. Secondly, I want you to know about this story is that we can learn from all kinds of characters. Even people who are doing things that are inappropriate, things that are doing wrong. Wisdom is learning from others. It's learning from others' mistakes, not just my own. And thirdly, you need to take into consideration who Jesus is talking to. Yes, he's talking to his disciples, but you're going to see that he's also talking to the Pharisees. And who were the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders. What do we know about them? Well, we know that they were incredibly arrogant. They were self-righteous. They were very uh, inward focused. They had been given a great responsibility with, with much. Many of them were the wealthy ones of Israel. They had a lot of knowledge. They had a lot of opportunity to do something great for God. And you know what these guys did? They squandered, they squandered it. They squandered their opportunities. And so we know that they were, not only were they uh, arrogant, but they were also hypocritical. They would say one thing and they would do another thing. What does that mean? Well, they would say, I love God, but what we really know is that they love money. Look at this, look at the passage, verse 14. The Pharisees who dearly loved their what? They loved their money. These guys were guys who were supposed to be leading people closer to God. They were wasting their opportunity because they loved money more than they loved God. They loved their money more than they loved other people. They were, they were in love with money. They heard all of this, and what did they do? They scoffed. And here's what could happen. You could hear all of this today, and you could either choose to be a, a teachable, pliable disciple of Christ, or you could be like the Pharisees and kind of scoff and act like, you know, I already know this or I'm not going to do this or maybe there's some impure motives that's going on. You don't want to be like the Pharisees where they're scoffing at what Jesus is trying to teach them. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but look at this, but God knows your hearts. And anytime you find anything regarding finances, you need to know that the heart is always connected to our finances. Jesus will say that over and over again. You'll hear it in the coming weeks. Our heart is always connected to this. We can, look, look at this. He goes on and he says, what this world honors. Okay, let's stop there. What does the world honor? What is the world's view of success? It's all about status. It's all about image. It's all about position and power and prestige. That's what the world honors. That's what the Pharisees had bought into. And look at what Jesus says. He says, what the world honors, this is actually detestable in the sight of God. So what is he saying? Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't take the cheese right? Don't, don't, don't fall for this trap. Don't, instead of falling for the trap of the world, you want to be transformed in the way that you begin to think about the finances that are in your life. Jesus knew the Pharisees love money and he's poking at them. He's prodding them. He is afflicting them as they are comfortable in their mentality about this. If you, you know this, that Jesus will comfort the afflicted and he will also afflict the comfortable. And this is what he is doing. 
He told this story and made this crook, this hero, because he knew that it would bug them. He knew how to get people's attention. He knew they would remember this. And what he is in essence saying is, you guys who have been given so much, this is what he's saying to the Pharisees, you've been given so much, you've been given great opportunity, you've been given more than anybody else in all of Israel, and here's what he's saying, and you're wasting it. You're squandering the opportunities that you've been given, and he's saying there's an accounting that is going to happen as a result of this. He's saying you have fallen into the world's trap in thinking about your finances. Do you realize that the Pharisees were blessed to be a blessing to others? Do you realize that Israel was blessed by God and chosen by God to be a blessing to the rest of the world? Do you realize that we as the church today have been blessed by God? We here in America, in the richest country to have ever existed, here we are as the church of Jesus Christ. And for many of us, let's be honest, we're squandering our opportunity. Do you realize that a lot of churches can't do anything to help any other churches or help anybody uh, because they're completely uh, inward focused and, and, and they're doing everything they can just to keep the doors open? And that's sad. It's sad that the church has been rendered powerless because we've thought wrongly about finances and instead we've missed the mark. And this is a warning for us to be able to say, practically speaking, we need to wake up and we need to realize that we can't think about our finances the way the world does. That's a trap. It's a trap to do this. How does the world think about it? Immediate gratification right now. So as a result of this, we've bought into this way of thinking. Many of us have no emergency savings. Many of us are living hand to mouth that if any kind of crisis happens, we're going to have to put it on a credit card and and then what do we do? Now we're making monthly payments or we're making the minimum payment and and, and it just feels like we're sinking, we feel trapped. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly where Hope and I were early on in our marriage and I want to tell you, it's a miserable place to be. Wouldn't you agree? It's miserable when you're there. And you would love to be generous and you would love to bless other people, but we've met, sometimes we've made poor decisions and our relationship with debt is out of control. We get discontented. We're looking for security and stuff. And what I'm saying today is that is the bait. It's the bait that often sucks us in. And the next thing you know, smack, the trap has happened and you're kind of stuck there. And many of us know exactly what I'm talking about today. Again, I I, I don't preach as one who's never experienced this. Hope and I have been in that place. And because we took a class that was offered that was called Crown Financial, I want you to know, after we finished the class, which was about 13 weeks, it didn't mean automatically all of our financial problems went away. They didn't. But what it was, was a change in our mentality and we started doing some things very differently. And, And I want to tell you, we had to get kind of crazy there for a while. And it was difficult and it was challenging and we began to snowball debt and to begin to pay that off and get rid of one credit card and then get rid of this and get rid. Next thing you know, we've got some savings. Next thing you know, we we have this opportunity to to do this. Next thing you know, we're able to be more generous with our finances. And and I'm just telling you as a living testimony that that it, it will take some work, but if you cooperate with God, he wants to see you blessed and living in such a way where you're a blessing to others. But many of us have bought into the debate. In this series, God wants to show you how to be biblically shrewd. 
We're going to show you through the scriptures and through a class, if you've never taken, called Financial Peace, that you can put, you can identify the problem, you can put a plan in place, and then begin to execute that plan. And let me tell you what that is. That is being shrewd. It's beginning to be shrewd. You're putting a plan in place, and, and, and God wants you to be effective. Now, in this story, let me just give you really quickly, I want to give you some takeaways from this, okay? I want to give you some traps to just be wary of and to understand that this is where most people fall into these traps, and here's what we find in this story. Number one, you want to avoid this trap of apathy, There's a trap of apathy that I see in this manager, okay? It starts by, if you want to begin to think differently, you have to shift your mindset to the fact that you are a manager, not an owner. That you are a manager of something that's been entrusted to you. It's representation of God. As you represent God in, in managing this, it says one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. That would indicate that what he had was not his. But yet he had been entrusted with it. But he is a manager. And and it starts by acknowledging this. If you want to see transformation happen, if you want to begin to think differently about finances, it starts by acknowledging, number one, that everything that I have is God's. Everything that I have is God's. Now, I want to even tell you this, even the bills, they're God's. You say, man, my, uh, even my kids, yeah, even your kids, when you got to pay for, for the braces that are on their face, one of the things I said to God whenever I realized I was going to have to do that for my kids is, God, that's your kid, that's their face. I need help paying for this, all right? And uh, that's your, see what I'm saying? You're shifting ownership, you're shifting responsibility. Now you are the manager of it, but now you're going to begin to, you're going to begin to think about it differently. But this, this guy was apathetic. What that means was he was not concerned. He didn't think there was going to be an accounting one day. And then all of a sudden an accounting happens and he's caught flat footed. He's not ready to deal with reality, and now he's going to get fired. So because he thought that it was his and he mismanaged it, you know what starts happening whenever you don't recognize rightful ownership? You get wasteful. Because you're like, "Uh, you know, I I don't care, or whatever. You get wasteful, and, and so this is, it says he was wasteful. Now, a lot of people get into this place of apathy because they haven't recognized rightful ownership. Let me give you a quick example of this, okay? A few years ago, my family had an opportunity to go uh, visit a ranch up in Colorado. Uh, There's some people who are in our lives that the Lord has blessed them tremendously. Uh, he invented something and God blessed him and he, he recognizes that everything he has is God's. So he told our family that we could go up to Colorado and use his ranch and just chill out for the week. And so we went up and we had a vacation that was free. And the key word, if you know me, is say it with me. Oh, you you don't know me well, do you? It's free. And that was awesome. But here's what he said to me whenever we got there. He said, he said, look, Bart, he said, I want you guys to enjoy all of this. I want you to treat this as if it's, as if it belongs to you. And you guys have a great time. What he was trying to do is put my mind at ease. But here's what I knew the entire time that I was there. Everything that was on that ranch was his. It wasn't mine. 
And so while we were there, I mean, I was like, we want to take care, good care of this. We need, to, we need to be sure that we do a good job with this. We want to clean this up. We want to leave it better than when we found it, right? That's how, that's the, that was the mentality. My kids would do something. I was griping at them. You can't do that, all right? We got to leave this better, all right? They were probably like, chill out, dad. But, uh, but the mentality is, is that when the accounting happens and he shows back up later to check out his place, is that I did a good job with it. And the hope is maybe, especially if they are listening online, that he might let me go back sometime, right? Okay, just saying, um, that he might let me go back. But, but you see, if you don't, if you're not faithful, if we just trashed the place, we didn't take care of it, we didn't really care, we were apathetic, there's a pretty good chance that that, that guy's not gonna ever let us use that again. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a change of ownership. You're saying, I don't want to be apathetic about this. Let me give you this next one. You want to avoid the trap of idolatry very quickly. You want, to, you want to, in other words, don't allow money to take the place of God in your life. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot. He didn't say you should not. He said you can't. You cannot serve both God and money. In the original language, there's an Aramaic word that is mammon. And this word mammon, it can apply to money, but what it really means in its original context is what you trust in. What you trust in. You can't serve both. What he's saying is you can't love both. You can't have divided loyalty, right? This is not something that, that you can have here. You've got to choose what drives you, what's going to drive you in your life. Have you ever tried to work for two bosses? They were both a boss to you, but they had different philosophies of how to go about the business. And one of them would tell you, do it this way, and you would do it this way, and the other one would be like, what are you doing? You're going to do it this way. You can't please both. And, and, and you felt very frustrated, and you're like, what in the world am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to please. you got to pick one. And I would assure you that you will be better off picking Jesus Christ as your master than you will money being your master. So you want to pick Jesus as your master. So the application, you want to ask, first of all, have I surrendered all of what I have to God? Have I, have I come to this place of, of surrendering all these things to God? Or, you know, my, are my bank accounts, do I realize that those are God's? The house that I live in, have I recognized and acknowledged that's God's? The car or cars that I drive, those are God's. All these things, God. You see, it's easy to pay lip service to God in this area. By the, and, and, and you can tell if you're paying lip service by the way that you live because a lot of times we get very tight-fisted whenever, whenever we start talking about this stuff. So you want to ask that. Have I, have I yielded these things to God? You want to ask, do I... Have I gotten to a place where, where I love money more than I love other things, right? And, and a, a lot of us would say, there's no way that I love money more than I love God. But how are you living your life, right? By the way, you can be poor and love money. This is not a monetary problem. It is a heart problem. I've known people who didn't have hardly anything, but they were obsessed with finances. They were obsessed with it. How do you, here's some filters. Are you obsessed with becoming rich? Is it like 
constantly on your mind, all you're ever thinking about? Do you look to things or stuff to satisfy you and to fulfill you? Are you looking to money to be that which makes you happy? Do you feel like you never have enough? Do you get grouchy whenever somebody starts talking about giving? Those are some good filters to really kind of begin to take yourself through, uh, to begin to examine yourself really quickly on this passage, 1 Timothy 6. Here is a godly perspective about finances. Look at this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But look at this, but people who long to be rich, they're in love with money, right? They fall into temptation and are, what's the word? There it is, trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And check this out. Some people who are craving money, that's like, that's the person who loves it. It's all you're thinking about. You're craving it. Have wandered from the true faith, and I find this interesting, and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Isn't that true, right? If you've ever fallen into that place, that's where I was at, where, where I kind of loved money and I thought that this was going to satisfy me and I wanted everything that took my parents their entire lifetime to get. I wanted it all in my 20s. So you know what I did? I put a lot of stuff on credit cards. And then those credit card bills came due and you know what? I was a slave. I was in bondage. When money takes the place of God in your life, you will have many sorrows, self-inflicted sorrows. Not just sorrows because we live in a broken world, but many are self-inflicted sorrows. You wanna avoid apathy, you wanna avoid idolatry, you wanna avoid the trap of false security, okay? It doesn't matter how much you have, do you realize it can go away pretty quickly? I'm a little bit sick. I like watching some of these shows where they're billionaires, got people who have made millions, maybe rock stars or something, and they didn't know how to manage the money and, and they blew it all. Now, I don't take, I'm not so sick that I take great pleasure in their loss. I, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by how they lost it by how they, were, they bought into the traps and how it all went away so quickly, right? And, and I don't take pleasure in their loss, I just take pleasure in, in taking note of how, and learning from their mistakes, of how fleeting money and our jobs and everything else really is. And sometimes we buy into this false security, so we put all of our faith in our job. But you know what? Jobs can go away. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Businesses can fail. True, right? If you put all your faith in, a, in another person and that's your security, people go away. Sometimes people die. If you put all of your faith in a bank account, money can fly away. Look at this. He says, get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I want you to see the manager lost his job. He lost his job, and some of you know what it's like and the pain of losing a job or losing a business or losing an opportunity or a deal falls through and it's disappointing and you're, you've dealt with that. Some of you are dealing with this. The point is, unexpected circumstances happen in our lives. 
And there's wisdom in being prepared for that, in saving for emergencies. And the reality is that in this broken world, we'd better be sure what we're putting our faith and trust in is something that is eternal. And do you know what the only thing that is eternal that you can put your faith in that will never change? Here's what it is. You know what it is? The love of Jesus Christ for you. Aren't you glad for that? The way that he feels about you. Look at these verses. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in the spring. Look at Proverbs 23, 5. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Have you ever experienced that? Do you know the reason the U.S. government put an eagle on our dollars is because of how quickly it can all fly away. You know that, right? That's probably not the reason, but what I want you to think of is every time you see that dollar and you see that eagle on there, you need to be thinking this can go away as easily as it came to me. In a heartbeat, it can go away. Have you been paying attention to the stock market the last few weeks? They're losing billions in days, right? It's kind of scary to look at sometimes, uh, especially if that's your false sense of security. You want to put your trust in that which is going to be eternal. You want to avoid idolatry. And many of us have bought into the trap of idolatry and we're trusting our money above everything else. Even on our dollar bills, what does it say? Rather than in our money we trust, what does it say? In God we trust. So they did do a good thing there to try to remind us. Don't trust in this dollar. It's going to fly away. You better put your trust in God. Here's your last thing, okay? You want to avoid the trap of discontentment. Avoid the trap of discontentment. Have you ever noticed, and this, is, this was an area where I've struggled with in the past, that we get in this mindset of thinking, if I finally can earn this amount of money, or if I finally could move to this neighborhood, or if I could finally drive this certain car, and we have this line that we're really working hard to get to, and we finally get to the line, we maybe are even on the other side of the line, what do most of us do? We erase that line, and what do we do? We draw another one. And it's like we can never be satisfied. And we will keep striving and, and, and never learn contentment. And it's something that is a trap in our life. Paul, or excuse me, Solomon said this, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. How meaningless to think. And then Luke says this, Jesus said, then he said, beware, this is Jesus. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So these are some traps, okay? And, and here's what I wanna do. I wanna lead you in prayer again. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. The Lord has given us an incredible passage of scripture just to contemplate. And I want you to begin to assess, have you fallen into some of these traps? Maybe you've bought into all of them, or maybe just you're struggling with one of them. Maybe the area of money has been just a struggle area for your life. You've been battling with that. Maybe it's the sore spot in your life, and you're, you came here this morning, and the Lord is stirring some things up in you. Here's what I want you to know. We didn't do this series to make to beat you up or make you feel worse about yourself. We did this series because God loves you. We love you. We want to come alongside you. God wants to set you up 
strategically for financial success. But you gotta be willing to to take some steps and begin to do things his way. You might just need to start today by saying, here I am, God, I surrender. Maybe earlier I hadn't really thought it through, but I'm surrendering everything to you. I want all of you to hear this. It's not wrong for you to have things, to be blessed, to to enjoy finances. It's not wrong to have money. Money is not the problem. Our heart is the problem. Have you surrendered rightful ownership over to God? And you're just saying, God, I just want to be a faithful manager. Some of you, maybe for you, you're just in a place of just, this really hurts today because maybe you've made some very bad mistakes. You you need to experience today is the love and grace of Jesus. And I want to give you a safe place to do this, to begin to get real with God about this. If this is a problem in your life, I don't want anybody else looking around, but I want to just say that if you need prayer today and you're struggling with one or all of these, and maybe you're just, you feel like you're just barely staying afloat and you just could use some prayer today. I'm not going to call your name out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I want to take you and your situation before the Father. If that's you today, would you just quietly just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I want to just begin and acknowledge that I want to do things God's way. Just lift them up before God. Many, just as in all of the services already today, and you're in a safe place to acknowledge that before God, beginning to get real with him. Let me pray for you. Lord, would you just comfort your your people today? These who have lifted their hands, would you encourage them? Lord, would you begin to just, in your grace, begin to just show them that, that Lord, you are going to work in their lives as they submit to you. And it may not be an instant miracle that happens in many of their lives. It's going to come through maybe years of hard work and steady plotting. And would you just begin to change all of our minds about the way we think about finances today? Would you give us a mindset of a manager encourage them today. Lord, I don't, I don't want them to feel guilty. I don't want them to feel condemned. Your word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Father, would you, would you encourage them today? We as a church want to love them and come alongside them and not judge them because we've all been in that place before ourselves and sometimes we even still struggle with it. So Lord, we want to walk with people who are battling with this Lord, we want to begin to see your blessings in their lives today. We lift them up to you, Lord. Would you surround them with your arms of love? We thank you, Lord, for your hope that you give us in Jesus.